So this reading is suitable for Palm Sunday, of course, because Jesus was the one person who knew what was ahead of him as he was going back into Jerusalem. And he knew that he would be mocked. He knew that he would be rejected. He knew that he would face opposition. And yet he set his face like flint to go into that environment and face what was coming. And you learn a lot about a person by the way they face opposition, I reckon. You can learn a lot about yourself, actually, by the way you face opposition. And this disciple has an open ear to hear. And this is the first step of being confronted, I think, when we are actually open to being confronted. Have you heard the term selective deafness? Parents often have it. (laughs) It's a condition common to all people, I think. Often goes undiagnosed. It's uh, much related to the ailment of being one-eyed. Some of us also suffer from that. And these conditions, I think, are common to all people simply because we're not aware of all the available data. And we cannot process all the data that we're actually aware of. And we can't accept all the information that we have processed. So we make editorial decisions for ourselves all the time. We do things like flatten the narrative. We simplify it. We put situations and people into categories, boxes, if you like, to save time. We even make prejudgments about those kinds of people or these kinds of situations. And much of this serves to help us cope with the unsorted deluge of information which constantly bombards us and threatens to swamp us. We need ways of kind of finding our way through. But having an ear to listen, it doesn't do away with our filters and biases, but we can listen with an awareness that we have those filters and biases functioning and that just gives us a bit more access to what's going on. This opens the option to see past our prejudices and the possibility that we might hear things that have always been there to hear but we haven't heard them before. Now, should we get this far, which is a That in and of itself is a good step, I reckon, but there's a further step we must take because becoming aware that God has something to say, that's a very healthy first step. Listening to that is a really good second step. But the third step is equally challenging and that is, of course, actually responding to what God might be saying to us. And the rub here is that it's not easy for us to be advised regarding the way we should go. We develop our own strategies to get the places we want to go, and these are fashioned from our experience and observations of life. And it's only when some uncertainty on our part creeps in, either regard to, in regard to where we want to go, we're not really sure where we want to go suddenly, or we're not really sure the best way to get there, that's when we become open to guidance. There's all sorts of jokes that are told about uh, husbands and wives in cars and men just not being willing to ask for directions, you know, ending up in the most ridiculous places. And Because we think we know how to get there, don't we? That's a, a man thing, I think. Women are much more open to the idea 
of uh, getting help, I think. It's common for it to take a crisis to bring us to the place where we are really willing to renegotiate our goals and our strategies. And in many ways, what we used to call conversion is something of a crisis moment. It is the acceptance that we are lost, that we don't know where we are and we don't know where we're going, and we need guidance from beyond ourselves. That's the conversion moment in a real way. And this is where we discover the power to sustain the weary, because knowing weariness is, I think, a universal thing, um, yet not allowing your weariness to be the final word is very important. It's about knowing a greater purpose that gives both a reason to what we're doing and shapes our efforts in how we do those things. See, anyone who exerts themselves gets weary. Hands up who was weary at the end of last night. I was weary, yeah. (laughs) Weariness is no sin, obviously. It's a byproduct of effort. We do well to respect its impact and rest when we are tired. Yet we never work in order to get weary. Our efforts are for a purpose, not simply to make ourselves weary. It's when we become consumed by our weariness that we find ourselves in trouble. And the word that sustains the weary reminds us of a greater purpose. It sets forth our calling and clarifies the most effective way to apply our efforts in keeping with that calling. If all we can see is our weariness, it's very difficult to go on. It's like being in a desert where there's just sand dune after sand dune and nothing to sustain us. When we are reminded what we are living for, indeed where life is to be found, then we can trim our efforts to deliver us to that place of life. Years and years and years and years and years and years years ago, those years get longer and longer, I used to be a bit of a windsurfer on the coast. Um, I wasn't great at it, but I was okay. And one time out off the uh, beach at Collaroy, the wind proved a bit stronger than my confidence to cope with it and I felt like I was being blown further and further towards probably Lord Howe Island. I'm not sure. (laughs) I panicked. I dropped the sail, I rolled it up, I put it down on the board and I decided I would try and paddle my way back into shore. But if you've ever tried to paddle a windsurfer board, thank you for laughing, James, that's the appropriate response. Uh, (laughs) I paddled for a long time against the wind in choppy seas and uh, I was making almost no progress when I got to the point where I was virtually exhausted. And then I really was very scared. It was a moment of salvation when suddenly my friend's face popped up in front of me. He'd been watching anxiously from the beach. It was his windsurfer, actually. <laughs> so he was probably more anxious for that. And he, uh, he swam out. He took the nose of the board and he just swam in holding the nose of the board. So simple, easy to do. Like down in the water, you're not a sail for the wind. You know, it was really smart. I probably could have thought of it if I wasn't panicking, you know, but I just... I got caught up with the wind and the waves. Reminds me of someone I've read about somewhere. There are times when we need that kind of help from someone else. 
And there are times when we are privileged to offer that kind of help to other people. Just something that helps us get to where we need to go. In a sense, opposition in life is inevitable. There's different modes of opposition, different sizes of it and so forth. And it's helpful to come to terms with this reality because we all will face it. So that's good to kind of fess up to. Whether it's in the school playground or in your workplace or in your community or, God forbid, negotiating church relationships or family relationships, there will always be incidents of opposition and God's servant knows this reality and is not intimidated by it. In fact, he leans in to it. And this is counterintuitive and difficult to learn, I reckon. If there is opposition, it's our natural instinct to want to kind of get as far away from it as possible, usually. Unfortunately, this does not serve us well, as well as we might hope, because when you're fleeing from something, you're in a reactive position and you can't be proactive. The thing that we're fleeing from starts to call the shots of where we can go next and we're dancing to its tune. But if you don't turn your face from the onslaught, this has the advantage that you can see what's coming. This um, gives you the possibility of actually giving your back to those who strike you rather than letting them get you in the head, as it were. I liken this to learning to ski again many, many years ago. I used to be very active in lots of sports uh, and I wasn't a very great skier but someone told me that the trick is when you're on sheet ice, which is very, very slippery, stand as upright as possible because that gives the hard edge of the ski the best purchase into the, the side of the ice. And when you slip, it's very natural to want to hold on to the mountain but that flattens the edge of the ski against the mountain and then you'll slip more. So you've kind of got to keep telling yourself, fall down the mountain, lean down the mountain. You're not really leaning down, you're just standing up, but it feels like you're falling away from the mountain all the time. You've got to lean into the threat, as it were, and that gives you purchase. It gives you traction to deal with the thing. Leaning into conflict is the best way to get traction, to navigate your way through. We can look at the issues rather than simply running from them, and then we can have an open engagement with the issues. We, um, being prepared to have whatever is a necessary conversation. We don't attack the person, we address the issue. For those who opposed Isaiah in this reading that we've had, they attacked him. They struck him. They did not like his message, but they didn't respond to his message. They attacked the person. Have you ever seen that anywhere? Yeah. It's a very effective strategy. It's just a dishonest one. It cannot resolve an issue because that is not the purpose of the action. We attack a person when we want to avoid the issue and shut them up and shut them down and take the issue away. We don't want to resolve it. We want to escape it. But turning to face what is going on is a turn of courage and faith. It may not be met with the same courage and faith from those to whom you are turning, but it is still the healthiest option because there's no hiding from the truth. The servant of God is not put off, even when personally attacked. 
this servant has a deep confidence. It does, this confidence doesn't reside in the servant, him or herself. The confidence resides in the power of God's truth. And today we seem very unsure of truth. We seem unsure about being, when we're being told the truth. We're not sure whether we know the truth or when we know the truth. And often we're not even sure when we're being truthful ourselves because it's all become kind of murky. We're often trying to get something or achieve something and that's a very transactional kind of way of being and often in this context truth is something to be managed for our purposes and we are selective with it and we go for what we're after and truth takes a second place so that we can tell truth in a way that becomes untrue at times. But God's servant is not ashamed because he has confidence in God's truth. And again, shame's a really interesting thing to think about because shame is related to the society we keep, those we choose to associate with. Because amongst crooks, you could feel to be made you could be made to feel ashamed if you were honest, because the group has a particular way of functioning and you could be accused of breaking ranks of ratting out your mates. So you've got to think about to whom and to what will you be faithful? And being faithful to God is a long game. There are numerous immediate and shorter-term challenges to this faithfulness. When we are in the company of those who have no interest in such faithfulness, it's easy, you might even say it's quite natural for us to be drawn to imitate the group we are with because none of us wants to be an outsider. Yet short-term acceptance by the group in the moment can actually, whilst it be very alluring, can lead to longer-term shame or being ashamed. It's easy to find ourselves ashamed in the longer term by that which we chose to do in the immediate term with a particular group of people because we were with them at the time. And we need to think about that. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a, a common thing in school groups, uh, at school-age kids, but I think it's true as we go through life, that we feel the influence of people and we think certain things are more appropriate in that setting than they are in that setting. But what's true? Like, what's truly you? What do you think is most appropriate? Can you do that no matter who you're with? It's wise to consider the durability of the society you are choosing to associate with. The real wisdom is in deciding to stand with the one who stands for eternity, I reckon. When I'd been a minister in my previous role, coming up to eight years, there's a normal set of protocols that kick in to assess how you're going, and I was assessed for my vitality of call, and the church was assessed for its um, life and witness, and the congregation was really struggling. It had been struggling when I started. It had moments where we joined together with a Pentecostal group and had lots of people there, but it kind of, as time had gone on, they drifted away and we were um, down to very small numbers again. In the face of it, it very much appeared like I had failed. The congregation did not appear to be viable and the recommendation from the presbytery looked like it would be that I should move on which often makes me wonder, 
in itself. If you fail at something and you're told to move on and fail somewhere else, I don't know. (laughs) But I had a nagging sense that I was doing what I'd been called to do by God. Things had not worked out as successfully as I had hoped, but it wasn't because I'd held anything back or been unfaithful. Naive, maybe, but not unfaithful. Miraculously, I reckon, the presbytery decided to give me a three-year extension. I don't really know how that happened, but they decided to do that. And during that three-year extension, the congregation really began to thrive and numbers picked up and we, we doubled and then more so and it was really quite a thing. They gave me five more years there, so I was in Manly for a long time. It's always a temptation to be, simply to be persuaded by the majority of what's happening right now. And our task is to search out what is true, to act with integrity and to be faithful to God. That's what God's servant does. Even as he approaches Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to face opposition, he stands true to what he knows to be true. There are moments when we will face opposition. Life gets tough sometimes. Sometimes we might need a sustaining word from someone else. Don't be intimidated. Hold on to the truth. God is faithful even when we are foolish or naive. Allow yourself to be held in God's faithfulness. It might be that all around you lose interest or stand against you or see you as having lost your way or all sorts of things. But if you're responding from faithfulness to God, God will not be unfaithful. God will be faithful to you, not unfaithful to you. If you live according to the truth, truth does liberate us from needing to dance to everybody else's tune. And then we become one of those people who can sustain the weary with a word. And I tell you, there's nothing more profound or beautiful that you could do with your life than sustain the weary with a word.